and welcome to the tape store. This is Brooke. And this is Toby. We were made in the 80s. And played in the 90s. And we are kind of doing a continuation episode um, of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, This is kind of a part two, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. However, tonight we are not going to be talking about the original Are You Afraid of the Dark solely because we are dedicating this episode to uh, giving a review to the Are You Afraid of the Dark reboot, which was last month. Yes. uh, And last October, which was last month. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time introducing because we really do need to jump in. We have a lot to cover. Um, But I want to talk about a couple things, I guess. So uh, the original plan uh, based on now, granted, this is based on Wikipedia. So, you know, we do have to be careful. But um, based on what I'm reading about uh, Wikipedia, or from Wikipedia, excuse me, uh, is that the original plan was that it was going to be a film. Yes. That, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? was They were, they were going to make a film, and it was going to be... Um, it was going to be written by... Uh, a screenplay was going to be written by Gary uh, Dauberman. Yeah. Who wrote it, uh, which would have been really cool with right. D, with DJ Caruso directing. Now DJ Caruso has directed a number of films, and one of the ones more noble, notable that we've seen was Disturbia, which we yes. really liked that. But he, he's done a lot of other ones, but that that's like one of my favorites that he directed. Disturbia. But obviously, these are these are writers and directors in the in the in the same vein as Are You Afraid of the Dark should be. So there was a lot of I remember hearing like, oh, there's going to be a movie, and I was like, okay. Based on what I see, this could be cool. Right, right. And so... But... <laughs> right, but then it turned out that it was going to be a uh, a miniseries, like a, a self-contained miniseries um, w- that would have a resolution and... And neither kind of, of those of those people were involved. Right. Um, I don't think he was, right? No, no, no. Neither of them, okay. Yeah, so, so they did a miniseries on Nickelodeon. Um, and so... Before we even get into it, and we need to get into it quickly, obviously, but uh, I do want to say, preface it, look, I was a huge fan of the 90s epi- uh, 90s um, show. show. Um, and one of the things that I saw before I watched the reboot was there was an interview with Ross Hull, who played Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I, I saw it on TMZ. I don't know if he was interviewing with TMZ, but he was giving an interview with someone. He was... He was, it was like a video chat he was having, and he was expressing concern about the reboot because uh, he had not been approached to to be a part of it, and he's, he was concerned about how that was going to be for diehard fans. Yeah. Um, I, when I listened to this interview, I had the exact concerns that he was yeah. talking about. I was like, oh, no, he's right. I mean, I, you know, he's, he was concerned how diehard fans would feel about because I think there's three groups of people that are going to come out of this. There's going to be people that, you know, kids in this generation who who have who have not seen the the show. Yeah, who have nothing to compare it to. Right. Right. Absolutely. And then you're going to have kids that or adults that remembered the show but might not have been diehard fans, but yo, we, I liked it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh they're going to be like, "Yeah, it's cool." And then you're going to have the diehard fans like me. <laughs> and whether filmmakers who who take on reboots and revivals, you like it or not, you do have to deal with the diehard purist fans. Now, I'm not completely 
Uh, I'm not a. I know, and we talked about it even before we started recording the show, mm-hmm. that we understand that diehard fans can be very demanding, and I've seen this more than ever with Star Wars. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, and just to take a couple minutes, um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, <laughs> and I was a huge Star Wars fan because of the original trilogy. When the prequel came out, um, I, there was some things about the prequels that I loved, and there were some things about the prequels that I didn't love. Right. And I remember being pretty hard on it at times. Not completely, though, because... And we're going to have an episode about uh, episode one, because oh, that is, an, sure. is a 90s episode. <laughs> I mean, that is, a, that is a 90s thing. That was 1999. So we're definitely going to talk about episode one. I have some great episode one stories. But um, <laughs> the thing about it is, though, is that uh, the person that made me kind of like step back from being so critical of episode one was Kevin Smith. You know, filmmaker, um, comic book extraordinary. Yeah, yes, he's excellent, and I love to hear him talk about films because the guy knows what he's talking about. Oh yeah, um, he wrote a Superman movie that almost happened. Uh, it didn't, but definitely watch on YouTube the story about how that went down. <laughs> that was like, remember we watched? Oh my it? gosh, he's so great to watch yeah. on on talking about anything. Right. So the thing about it is. Um, so, uh, so the thing about it, what the point I'm getting at is that a fan asked him, uh, you know, Ke- Kevin Smith, he was at a, given a Q&A, and a fan said, uh, you know, if you could write the Star Wars prequel trilogy, what would you have done? And Kevin Smith said the exact same thing George Lucas did. And I think everybody that was not what everybody was expecting. Right. Because George Lucas's prequel tri- uh, trilogy, <laughs> the, the Star Wars prequel tri- trilogy gets a lot of uh, flack and criticism. Mm-hmm. There are some things that I think you can criticize absolutely. Uh, however, the reason Kevin Smith said, "Look, man, that was his story to do whatever he wanted to do with." So, you know, that was you know George Lucas. He re- executively produced, um, wrote, and directed all three of the prequel films. Those were his. That was his baby, and he said he did exact. He made the three Star Wars prequel films that he wanted to make. Even if you wanted to say something about it, go ahead. But how much weight does it really have when the guy who birthed Star Wars did that? Right. Um, if DJ, so now let's get back to Are You Afraid of the Dark? If DJ McHale, who Are You Afraid of the Dark is his baby, if he executively executively produced, wrote, and directed all these, I might be a little more hesitant to to, to or reluctant right. to maybe say a f- what a few things that we're going to say tonight. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that he didn't. No. And so it was directed and written by? By uh, Dean Israelite. Mm-hmm. And it was written by um, Ben David Grabinski, yeah. or he was the key writer. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying anything about those guys. I mean, you know, they've, they've obviously, they're good at their craft. Right. And, D- and DJ McHill was involved yeah, in the Yeah, he was an executive producer. But right. I don't think that he was, I don't think he was as George Lucas was to Mm-mm. the Star Wars prequel. I don't think he was to. He wasn't like on the ground with it, no. Right, and if he was, I, I, but if he was, I, you know, it seems to be that Dean Israelite and Ben David Grabinski were the ones that were really kind of like captain, uh, like captaining the ship, right? You know, exactly. Um, and the, and so, um, that being said, there's a little more license for for critics to be like, okay, since this wasn't completely done by you know the guy who birthed this mm-hmm. and decided. Um, 
I feel like there's a little more license for purists and diehard fans to say something like, well, you know, raise their hand, say, um, I have a question. Yeah. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? Yeah. Or, or can I at least just say a few things? Now, listen, there were some things we really liked about this reboot. There were some things we really liked about it. What it was that we found after watching it was that the things that we didn't like just were really important to us. It, yeah. was, the, it was the things that we felt that it fell short on. Um, but uh, we're going to get into that, so yeah. let's just jump right in. Okay. Um, let's start with episode one, submitted for your uh, uh, submitted for your approval. Uh, this is the um, the opening sequence. So we're gonna we're basically what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through. We'll walk you through it. We're gonna we're gonna walk you through basically all three episodes, and uh, and then we're gonna kind of do a final analysis. So let's just jump right in. So okay. episode one, opening sequence, and I took notes as we watched these. So. Uh, for the specific purpose that we would uh, that, we, <laughs> that would ha- we would do this that we would do this so okay uh, episode one the opening scene was incredibly grabbing yeah and, it like, was great freaky it was I mean it did a hundred percent what it was supposed to do absolutely the thing of the opening sequence we meet the two people that remain consistently strong throughout yes. all three episodes and that's Mr. Top Hat and Rachel. Rachel is a great character. Oh, yeah. Rachel, as we, and, and now we are going to be making references back to the 90s. In fact, we're going to, we talked about a hashtag, <laughs> what would Gary do? Yes. Because that's going to be a big one, especially, that's a WWGD. big. WWGD. Yeah, WWGD, what would Gary do <laughs> as the leader of the Midnight Society? There's going to be that. And we're, we are going to make some connections back to the uh, uh, the 90s episode, the original right. uh, episodes. And I felt that Rachel was definitely a Betty Ann. Yes, um, not necessarily. I think uh, she was like a, a Betty Ann Sam mashup. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So that opening sequence, I remember that my favorite part was when like the, the, the light flashed and you see the outline of Mr. Top Hat, Ugh, who yes. was a very effective, uh, villain and a good character. Rafael Casal, I believe. Yes. Uh, just very well done throughout, uh, the entire, um, throughout the entire, uh, uh miniseries. Uh, we, so that whole, as Brooke said, that, as you said, that, that whole, um, that whole opening sequence was just grabbing. Oh yeah. Um, and then they did the credits, which was very well done. Love the credits yeah. and homage to the nineties, but also kind of, you it's know, own thing. it's own it was, thing. It was updated. It was definitely cool. Definitely cool. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. And then of course, as we get into it, we find out that Rachel's new in town. <laughs> new and, in town. Yeah. <laughs> So Rachel's new in town, <laughs> and I have to say this: um, Why do movies still do where the teacher introduces the kid now in, in front of thirty teenagers? Right. And the reason why I have a bone to pick with this is because we are both high school teachers, right? Uh, you know, we podcast, we moonlight as podcasters, we may, right? But we one hundred percent don't do that, and I, no one does. No. For one thing, the times I've had, I've been teaching for over a decade, and I've never introduced a new kid to thirty teenagers. No. The only time I think I remember doing that is like in elementary school. Yeah. Because the class is together all day, every day. It's the same kids for one hundred eighty days. So maybe you would introduce, you know, the teacher yeah. would do that, and kids are a little more. Little kids might be a little more. I would never stand a sixteen year old up in front of thirty five other 16 year olds and say this is our new student no they already like want to run and hide from each other so So, like why would you do that why movies still do this i don't know yeah so moving on uh we start meeting people 
because it's obvious that this is not going to be an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode where the Midnight Society is going to get together, tell a story, and we're going to watch the dramatized um, uh, episode that's the the story of the person. To, right. The Midnight Society is going to be experiencing the supernatural things. They're going to they are going to drive the story. Yeah. Um, and we've already just just by the opening sequence, we're like, okay, this is already different. But I'm to- but we're here for it. Like we are ready to go on this ride. Right, so as the first episode starts to unravel, we start meeting people. The first kid we meet is a great character oh, yeah. and was completely underutilized yeah. because of his purpose in the the, 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 the miniseries, but it was Adam. Just a, a, a neat kid, different, and I was like, oh, I, I remember thinking, it's obvious she's going to meet kids that are in the Midnight Society. Yes. We hoped he would be in the Midnight Society. Yeah, he was just a sweet, like, quirky kid. Yeah, and I remember as I took took these notes... I put Adam, great character. That was my first impression of mm-hmm. him. So that was great. And then, of course, we meet Jeremy Ray Taylor. or Well, we meet Graham, played by Jeremy Ray Taylor from It. But his his intro was great. He is obviously, we've already seen him in It, where he was, I th- he's done his best work so far, young kid. Oh, but, yeah. And uh, Goosebumps. <laughs> we've already seen him. Yeah, he was in it, Goosebumps too. Jeremy Ray Taylor is excellent. Uh, Graham is a great character. Um and then I put, and again, these notes that we've been taking are real time. I wrote the best part so far. So I really liked Graham. I really liked Jeremy Ray Taylor. Really liked Adam. Really liked Rachel. We're doing great. And then we meet Akiko. And she is on a movie set that she, of a movie that she's making. She, and, a high school student. A high school student. At school. At school. <laughs> and she's blowing stuff up, and people are giving her coffee, and she's acting like she's J.J. Abrams or like um, Steven Spielberg. And her brother, who's a police officer, is getting on to her for using pyrotechnics in public, and I'm like, okay, so once again, this is where the high school teachers come in. Yeah. And where one of us, me, is a high school film teacher, and this is not how we make movies. And why I get that it was funny and this, that, and the other. I'm the film teacher and nobody hands me coffee while I'm working. Right. I just put, and I, I wrote for the notes, I get she's a filmmaker, but they were too extra with her intro. Yeah. You know, and we immediately beckon back to that movie, Super 8. Yep. Which is about a group of like kids. That are making a movie. Making a movie. And they with were making what they've mo- got. With what they've got, like kids make movies. And like, I remember because the, the main character, who he was great, but he was very serious about his craft. He was by no means, you right. know, not serious, but like, you know, they, they had like their, they had their super eight camera, obviously, right. you know, and they, you know, like, oh, let's go down to the train tracks and we'll try to get this makeup to look like zombie blood. And, uh, yeah, it was very rudimentary. They were doing what they could with what they had. And Akiko, it's either she is incredibly well to do and they just, right. and, that's, and we're just supposed to infer that. Right. Or but, this is not real teenagers. But look. <laughs> Part of making a good story, guys, is making your characters relatable. Right. Rachel is relatable. New Kid. Graham is relatable. He's kind of his own quirky. He's kind of a a movie buff, and he's his own. And he kind of goes to the beat of his own drum, and he kind of doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. He is Graham. Yeah. And we can relate to those kids. I can't relate to a kid that acts like J.J. Abrams at high school. Right. Because nobody does that. And the problem with Akiko is that after this. She's actually pretty good, yeah, as a character. But her intro was just—I um, was—I just—it was not realistic, and it was just kind of stupid. Well, and they do keep—they do keep that going. 
Yeah, they keep they, that that. Um, but when she wasn't I'm too doing good that, for this filmmaker business, right? Going. But when she wasn't doing that, she reminded me of Kiki. Yes, where she was kind of gruff and just not. She didn't. She, you know, she wasn't like quick to like like Rachel as a new kid, right? Because obviously yeah. we're getting to the point where Rachel is going to be a member of the Midnight Society. So basically, what happens is is that Rachel is is uh, Graham takes a notice in Rachel. Uh, and they decide to invite her to the Midnight Society. So, you know, after kind of scoping her out, they invite her. Uh, so she gets the whole invitation thing we thought was really cool. Yes. Yeah, she gets these series of notes in her locker that are like, well, they're they're typewritten. <laughs> which... Yeah, which, okay, but... I'm kind of like, where's your typewriter at school? But right. whatever. But but you don't want to get too... No, right. no, that's no, just no, me you, being... No, stupid. I know, but we talked about that. But the thing about it is, is that... Um, the invitation was a good touch where she kept she had to answer certain questions. I'm like, okay, I get that. That's cool. So then we move forward to how so basically what happens is they lead Rachel into the woods. She has to be blindfolded. And this as, is very, as is custom. As yeah. is custom. Understand this. We're talking about the Midnight Society. They've been we already have established a mythology in the nineties. So we're making a a a continuation of this for this generation. But you're you're doing you're creating, you're continuing a story about something that has ceremony with sacrosanct rules. Yeah. And here she is being led. She's being blindfolded. And when she takes her blindfold off, it's the Midnight Society. And they're wearing they're masks. Ma- they're wearing masks. Uh, okay. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't have to do everything the same way that the 90s went. No, and it. that's fair for a, for a newer crowd. The storytelling sequence was well done overall. Yeah. Here's where it gets really, really uh, difficult for me as as a as a as a fan of the of the show. Uh, the leader of the Midnight Society is a character named Louise, and she is played by uh, Tamara Smart. I'm fine with the casting choice; not an issue at all. The problem is Louise is not written, nor does she play her role as if she's the leader of the Midnight Society. Hashtag What would Gary do? <laughs> <laughs> because you have to understand, we've already had Gary as an as the leader of the Midnight Society, and then Tucker after and then, him, yeah, who yeah. did a good job for a couple seasons. All right, the first big blunder I see with Louise as the leader of the Midnight Society is that she outs Graham during the story because Graham is getting in. So Rachel has to tell the story. If we know the the, the way the Midnight Society works, what right. happens? They have to tell the story. They have Excuse to tell me. a story and be approved. Then the group confers and yeah. they agree or disagree on admitting them. Right. It's sacrosanct. It's, it's ceremony. Yeah. So they're sitting here listening. This is something that's been going on according to the mythology since 1937. So here we are sitting. They're all sitting. Rachel's telling her story. It's a great story, by the way. The Carnival of Doom is an excellent story. Well, because it's based on the opening sequence we find out is her dream. Yeah. So she's telling the story based on something that no one else would know but her because she's been dreaming it. And that's imp- that will become important to the story. Right. So here they are sitting around the, the campfire. And I one of the things that we talked about last week with Gary as the leader is that I just knew Gary was the leader based on how he was written and how he carried himself and how Ross Hull portrayed the character, which mm-hmm. was just... And, and, and again, we talked about how Gary, he was parental over the group. He, um, he, uh, w- when, uh, when Kristen and David moved. He was uh, like, it, okay, here's what we're going to okay, do. Okay, here's what we're going to do. He was the leader. Yeah. So here they are sitting in a circle and Graham starts to get annoying because he's, I, I guess. He's getting scared. Right. And Louise outs Graham. She goes, she said, she's like, Graham, shut up or something like that. Yeah. And 
And then Rachel's kind of like, oh. And then Rachel knows who it is because she's already met Graham at school. And I'm like, are you serious? Gary would never do that. (laughs) Gary would never do that. Again, we're talking about these are rules. These are sacrosanct rules. And like Louise as a leader of the Midnight Society should have been like that, that she should be first and foremost like upholding these rules. Well, and I think the I think part of it too is that if they were so incredibly careful with the invite right. and how they got her out there, it was a little it was a careless writing choice to have her to have, to have her out Graham because they took such great pains to preserve their anonymity. Right. Right. So, so it didn't make it, sense. It just, yeah, that, that was just a moment where we're like, ooh, that's a pretty big disconnect because yeah. this we're not ever really introduced to the full rules of the Midnight Society in the original. No. But they, but we know they're there because whenever they do bring them up, they're like, hey, that's right. the rule. Right. So I would assume they those have still survived. I mean, if yeah. this, you know, if, well, we'll talk about, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm no, about but, to skip ahead. Well, but, but yeah, no, they, they should, those rules should be intact. And so that was, that was, it was, just me, a, it was just careless. It was just a careless and unnecessary thing and really bad on the character of Louise, who is a fine casting choice. Yeah, she's in a. Uh, uh, there's another show she's in. My my son watches called yeah. The Worst Witch. Yeah, she's and a she's great actress. This like little, little, it's like it's like a kind of like a Hogwarts for girls, and yeah. like she's one of the key characters, and she's she's phenomenal in that. Right, and 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 I thought it's it's not a, her acting ability. Mm-mm. It's just that you're supposed to be the leader of the Midnight Society, and unfortunately, you're following right. Harry. Well, we're left to Tucker. assume that it's the writing. Right. It's not her acting. No. It's what's written. It's not. It's what's written. She outed, the leader of the Midnight Society outed another leader, outed, another, <laughs> another <laughs> member during this, like, really sacrosanct part of this, uh, of, of, of what the Midnight Society does, which is right. induct a member during their story, during their induction story, or, you know, their submission. Uh, so that, uh, so, in the end, um, Rachel's story is accepted. Uh, now, let me say this. Louise never says she's the leader. How do we know that Louise is the leader? Uh, well, um, she is the one that says, I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed, and she dumps water on the fire, and that's what Gary yeah. did. So uh, that's the assumption that she's the leader. So Rachel does end up getting in, and then what ends up happening is um, a kid disappears. Yeah. It's Adam. It's the kid we meet at the beginning, right? right? And he ends up going missing. And then the very carnival of doom that was in Rachel's story, that there starts to be um, well, because imitations in, in class they 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 announce, okay, guys, I am here to tell you, Adam is missing. Also, literally in the same breath, but any but maybe to lighten the spirits, here's this carnival that's coming to town. <laughs> right and it which one that was weird but two they, they they're handed the postcards that say carnival of doom and we see shots of all their faces and they're like oh snap right so the carnival and of then doom is real and then episode one is done and then that moves right into episode two which is cons- which is called opening night um the first thing that happens obviously so a kid's missing the carnival's real um and immediately the Midnight Society calls a meeting and they're like, what? They turn on Rachel. What? And they all turn on Rachel. All of them. Uh, the leader, Louise, has no interest. In fact, she says like the hardest no ever. When Rachel's like, let's check this out. Let's see what this is all about because this is obviously crazy. I told this story and now it's real. Nobody wants to have any part of it except the only one that wants to give Louise a shot is the one character we haven't talked about yet. Yes. Who, who is also in the Midnight Society and that's Gavin. 
Yeah. Her, I guess, teenage love interest. Yeah, yeah. She meets Gavin in episode one. He happens one. to be her next door neighbor, which we didn't yeah. really discuss, but right, he's yeah. her. Yeah, well, he he's her next door neighbor, and, and he she, shows her. He's like the first one to show her kindness, really. Yeah, he, he's nice to her, and then we find out he's in the Midnight Society. Sorry, we, we should have mentioned that. He's one of the one that takes the, <laughs> they, they take. Yeah. The, well, once they induct her in the the Midnight Society, they take their masks off, and and she re, she finds out that and it's, she's like, oh my gosh, Gavin. Oh, it's Gavin, right? Yeah, Gavin is the only one that actually gives is willing to give uh, Rachel a shot. And Gavin, um, so so here, so Akiko doesn't like Rachel. Yeah. Louise doesn't like Rachel. They want nothing to do with checking the story out. Graham doesn't want. Graham's just scared. He's scared. He's kind of a shaggy, you know. Yeah. What's um, funny is because one thing we didn't mention is that in his intro, he's listening to music, and you hear the music in his headphones, and on his shirt it says "Watch horror movies." Is it watch horror right, movies? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's all about. Oh, I'm so into horror movies. Oh, you. Should, that's, that's the only thing to watch. But he's actually incredibly fearful. So that's that's his thing. Right. That's so, like his little trait. Yeah. And so. Gavin, so so the Midnight Society is Louise is the leader, Akiko, Gavin, Graham, and now Rachel. So there's mm-hmm. five people. And when they all turn against Rachel, Gavin is the only one that like unites the group to to check out the carnival and try to find Adam. Because yeah. Rachel's like, there's a kid missing. We know who this kid is. And it's connected to the story I told. So yeah, something's up. We got something's we up, check and it because it, it's my story, and I'm the one having these dreams and visions and stuff. We should go. It, we, she felt responsible to go check it out. The leader of the Midnight Society. Now Gary would would be like, "Let's do it." Yes, Gary for sure. would, would be like, "Let's do it." With so, Betty Ann in a close second. So my thing is, okay. So I'm starting to see that they should have either made Gavin the leader, mm-hmm. yeah, or had Louise be more like Gavin. Which is Gavin unites the group. Hey, come on, come on, guys. Yeah, get it together. And I understand the the choice of having a a girl or a woman lead the group because why not? And that's you know like I I get that, but the problem is they didn't write her that way. So if that was if the choice was to be like to to have a female lead, which is great, they they really missed an opportunity. They could have they could have created a very strong, assertive, uh, cool leader. And instead, Louise is, just like Graham is really afraid, Louise is, and she says it, she is all about being popular in her status in school, and that is what's important. That's her priority. Yeah, she's a cheerleader, she's very popular, and... Or she's trying to be popular. She's on the way. But it becomes like that's all she's about. Right. um, I believe it was episode, uh, we'll talk, well, we'll get to that in episode, when we get to episode three, because episode two, basically, they go to the carnival... Uh, and the story does start to pick up. Yes. Once they get to the carnival, it, it starts to, it starts to pick up, and well, because then we get to really see Mr. Top, Mr. Hat, Top in Hat in action, and he's so, just phenomenal. So it goes from kind of if when the story is not in, in being driven by the Midnight Society, mm-hmm. it, it it went really well. Like when when it switches over to the carnival and Mr. Top Hat, it's like okay, yeah, it was doing. He is just. I could have just watched the whole show because about him. here's the thing. Like it's like it's like Toby said in the very beginning. Um, our issues with the show, why that like if you actually watch it, they're actually um, technically they might be kind of minor mm-hmm. because it had the horror element down pat. Mr. Top Hat was phenomenal. The scary stuff was was I mean definitely sc- I mean in to me scarier than even the original because the original had the corniness that all '90s things had. 
we'll probably look back on this one in 20 years and be like, aha, that was corny. You know what I mean? Like, it's just how right, it goes. Yeah. But um, it, it, all the elements were there. The problem is these characters did not mesh well together and they were not assertive where they needed to be assertive. Right. So I don't want it to sound like, oh, we just hate the show. We really don't, but we have, but we're, but we're definitely, we are very precise about what didn't work. Right. And what really isn't working so far is the Midnight Society. Which is sad. Some of the members are really strong. Graham is strong. Rachel's strong. Gavin is strong. But you're only as strong as your weakest link when you're looking at an ensemble. And Akiko Akiko is okay when she's not acting like J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. (laughs) Like, like I'm I'm the greatest filmmaker ever. Uh, She starts to soften, though, when her brother gets involved. Yeah, yeah. And that's in episode three. And that's in episode two. Episode three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... But Louise, she's just there. And, mm-hmm. the, and the reason why she's so disappointed is because, again, you're supposed to be filling Gary's shoes. You're supposed to be the leader of the Midnight Society. Right. So what ends up happening is they go to the, um, they go to the Carnival of Doom, mm-hmm. and everything goes kind of haywire because some, they end up not remembering how they left the Carnival, I believe. Well, what happens, because when, when, when Rachel tells her original tale, the whole issue is that when you go, no one else remembers what happened. Right. It disappears from view. It disappears from memory. So they go, and the whole the whole thing is it's all part of the show. Right. That's so the whole time. That's how he says it every time, every time. So all this crazy junk happens. Yeah. And no one remembers it. Right. Not only that. Now Gavin's missing. Yes. So Gavin is missing, and none of the Midnight Society remembers uh, the carnival. They remember they know Gavin, but they, they they don't know what happened to him. Right. But they don't remember the only one that remembers going to the carnival is Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. She's the only one that remembers. So they go so in episode two they go to the carnival, everything goes haywire, and they end up all back home and they don't remember the carnival. So that takes us to episode three, where uh which is called Destroy All Top Hats. Um and this is where they decide, okay, let's find out what the history is about this carnival. Yes. Right? Um, and the first thing I write when I'm taking these <laughs> notes with episode three is, Louise makes no sense as the leader. Like, <laughs> in episode three, when the Midnight Society gets, you know, when they um, manage to get back as a, as a group. Right. Um, they, uh, they, they have to do research on the... Right on the carnival, like any good teen movie. Yeah, they have to they're go doing to the some research. I mean, they even did that in, in, in uh, Scary Tales uh, to Tell in the Dark. Oh yeah, yeah I they, mean, they, it's they, like you have to have that sequence. Yeah, you got to do the microfish. Except this time they were on Google. I think you know. It's, it's right, a, and that's fair because that's that's modern. <laughs> and Louise is on her phone the entire time, never ahead of the story. N- at, at, the leader of the Midnight Society is not ahead of the scary stuff in the story. Again, what would Gary do? They're constantly catching her up. Gary would have yeah. a smartphone, but he would not be on it. Well, he'd be on it purposefully. <laughs> right. Um, I appreciate Louise's backstory that she's a popular girl and she's kind of like, she doesn't want to be that loserese, which is... Yeah, I, she I, doesn't want to be seen with Graham. Right. She like, struggles with... That's but her my big thing deal. Is, but, that's the, but, but what did we talk about in the ep, uh, last week's episode? We said with the Midnight Society, we felt we are walking into something that's already solidified. It wasn't like that with the reboot. It was like no. the midnight like Graham, Louise, Akiko, it was like they've known they had known each other for like a week. And they were all perfectly fine to be secret friends and nothing else. Right. Because yes, the Midnight Society is secret, but as we mentioned before, 
the Midnight Society, they were friends outside of that campfire as well because we saw them in each other's lives yes. bits and pieces um throughout so the, and that's not that's not fully there here now graham and uh louise they do talk at school but like barely yeah. so it's just yeah it's just very disjointed it just seemed like it was not something that had been solidified for a while like they even make a mention that oh you guys have been telling story scary stories for as long as you know who know, but i'm like no it doesn't feel that way it feels like you guys have known each other for like a month well, because because I think it's in episode you know, one or two that Grant, not Graham, um, Gavin gives Rachel. Yeah. Um, was it a lighter? Well, the, no, it was a, it was a it was a Swiss Army knife. The Swiss Army knife. Yes. He, he it had been passed down through Midnight Societies. Like, he said over it was given years. to him when he was a new member. Why doesn't? So why is he not the leader? Why is he not the leader? Why doesn't Louise have this knife? Like that should be something that the leader. I gives. don't get. All Louise does is pour water on the fire and say, "Submit it for the uh, excuse me." I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. But she shouldn't even do that. <laughs> I know you're not wrong because she's not do she's not upholding the responsibility. And I know you know there might be somebody here and they say, "Man, he's taking that really seriously." I'm like, "Look, I take the story seriously, and I take the mythology of this seriously, and I think this is exactly why Ross Hull said I'm concerned mm -hmm. about this new one." Now, I, I know he eventually kind of uh, did some interviews with the new cast, and maybe he feels a little bit differently. I don't know, but I certainly could, you know, if I ever had a conversation with him. Look, they did a great job. I'd say, like hey, you... the 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 series was great. It's not to say that it wasn't. It had great parts. There, yeah, there was just some things that didn't that didn't and won't ever work for me because so I'm I got the the originals too hard pressed in my head. So I, you know, I, you know. We hope you watch it. I mean, definitely go check it out. Oh, but, for sure. But formulate you know, your own opinions because we're going through this kind of quickly. But in the end, what we find out is that Mister Top Hat was a guy who sold his soul to the devil because he owned a carnival and he rushed to get it started. So there was a horrific accident, mm -hmm. and yeah, he, like a child was killed. Yeah, and, or two or two it children was a family were killed. or something. Yeah, and and he said, you know, if I could only just basically if I could start over. And the devil shows up and says, you know, sell me your soul and I'll, you know, you can have this carnival of doom. And this happens, and, and noted, this happens really fast, this discovery. So, yeah, and be, yeah, this all kind of, you know, and again, they, they, this... It, sped, it took, went to warp speed. It, yeah, with the resolution, it just suddenly went real quick. And, and and what we find out is that because Mr. Top Hat, this is why Mr. Top Hat is able to move from town to town and not get remembered. It's because he's got the supernatural on his but side. But Rachel... Rachel is special because mm -hmm. she's related. She was a relative. Yeah, she's the great something. Yeah. Of she of one of the kids. She's related to one of the children that died in the accident, correct? Uh, she was, yeah, she's connected to the original incident. Right. And that's the only way he could be, I don't know. He was concerned. He, he was like her, she was like his greatest fear. Yeah, because and I like that. I liked all that. And that there's was moments great. where they're like, is she the one? And he's like, I'm pretty sure. Like, there's a right. moment like that. In the earlier episodes, and you're like, "What is he talking about? And what like, is he talking about?" Yeah, and like when he sells his soul to the devil, the devil's like, "I'm warning you about this girl or whatever." But so, yeah. so in the end, Mister Top Hat he has a top hat, obviously, and also a cane. <laughs> yeah. But you find out that the cane's actually a talisman, um, and again, reminiscent of something like the one of the original '90s episodes. Yes. That, you know, so something you know the, the talisman has to uh, is very key is a key part to his power and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, obviously. Spoiler alert, you know, if, if you want to go, if, if you know, stop now and then go watch it. But obviously what we know happens is that the Midnight Society finally comes together. Um, Seriously, finally. Finally, I guess, after all this time. <laughs> uh, they finally come together and they unite and defeat Mr. Top Hat. They find the people who are missing. Yes, everybody who's missing. Adam. 
And um, Ga- well, Gavin they find. Ga- Gavin earlier, they find but... in that episode, and he's able to kind of snap out of it. So everybody's found. Everybody's good. And then they're back together, and they decide to, you know, they're back out in the, uh, they tell a story. Yeah. They're, they're back out in the woods. They're at the campfire. And who accidentally walks up on them? Adam. With his dog. Who I thought should have always been in the Midnight Society from the beginning. But I, I did like that they, that the, the show ends with they're probably going to include him. Um, but But the thing is, when Adam walks up, Everybody looks at Rachel like, "What do we do?" Yeah, what like, what do you think? And Rachel goes, "Hey, Adam, you like scary stories?" And I'm like, "Which honestly, let her by all means let Rachel be the leader." So once again, <laughs> let Rachel or Gavin be the leader Seriously. because Louise is still not doing anything. <laughs> and once again, hashtag WWGD. What would Gary do? <laughs> Gary Gary would immediately take charge if some stranger walked up on the campfire. Yep. He would he, come up with something else. Well, he would have, or, or they, yeah, there'd probably be some kind of protocol. He yeah. wouldn't, he wouldn't look at Betty Ann or Frank and say, "What do we do?" He wouldn't look at the literally newest person on the team, right? To ask. right. So, in summary, the story was definitely more centered on Rachel. Uh, the Midnight Society, I think itself, should have been much more central. Um, the problem was the Midnight Society was never really a unified group, right? Uh, and because they weren't, they were weak. Um, so you had strong characters in the Midnight Society like Graham, Rachel, and Gavin, but Akiko and Louise were just not good characters. Louise was really the one that pulled down the Midnight Society. Yeah. Uh, and the fact is, anytime the Midnight Society, like I said, was driving the story, it was fairly weak. Right. But when Mr. Top Hat or Rachel by herself, when it was like Rachel's hero's journey, mm-hmm. or when it was Mr. Top Hat in the Carnival of Doom, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, when they were in the Carnival world, that was great. But yeah. we're in their world, we're like, eh. Right, right. Like, this is rough. Unless, it, again, unless it's driven by Rachel, or Rachel and Gavin. Now, oh, and one thing we didn't mention also is that Rachel and Gavin do have their, like, pairing off. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, they're going to get together. You know, yeah. and that's, you know, you got to have that. But yeah, um, sure. But Gab, but 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 it's easy to like because Gavin is really cool. And Brandon Routh, uh, who played Superman in Superman Returns, <laughs> makes a cameo as Gavin's dad, and it was the most. And he's surprising like the, thing. the quote hot dad. And he's like, "Hey, what's up? I'm missing my son. Anybody know where he's and at?" And the mom's like, "Oh my gosh! Yeah, like, oh gosh! But, uh, who's at the yeah, door? So like, it's really funny. It, it was cool to see that. You know, um, it was funny. <laughs> uh, it has its moments, guys. I'm I'm not. But listen, look, I always go. You know when. When you know it was when I saw that interview by Ross Hull, I, I was kind of like, Uh-oh. I felt like it's Ga- <laughs> it was Gary coming back to warn all the true fans, like <laughs> guys, look out, um, you know. Uh, but no, it 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 just was it was a missed opportunity. I felt it, I felt like it could have been a lot stronger, and yeah. I felt like, I felt like the Midnight Society just could have been a better, could have been, uh, just could have been written better as as an entire group. You had a you had some great characters in there. And they were just completely pulled down by, I think, some characters that were poorly written. Yeah, and I think that I think that this, the way these characters were written, would have worked better if maybe they the plan was for us to watch the conception of a new yeah. group, like to actually watch it forming. Right. Then I'd have been like, okay, I totally get. Yeah. Louise trying to figure herself out. Right. I totally get. Uh, Akiko being 
a crazy person and yeah. them forming their bonds. I think it would have been wonderful, though, to bring back some of the original cast. That would have been great. Yeah. To have seen an older Gary. That really would have, I think, affirmed. Even to even some, to not even play a Midnight Society member, just to, just that role, just that cameo. I, I, yeah. Oh, I, my God. There he I, is. I would have liked to have seen him in it and, and, and really given some affirmation to kind of say, hey, we're passing the torch a little bit. I would have well, yeah, because that. I mean, honestly, something I would have honestly super loved would I would have loved for Gavin to be like Ross's kid. Yeah, right. Because I mean, he, uh, Gary's kid. Because the thing about it is, is that I had no issue with Louise being the leader. She just didn't act like it. And and oh I, no, yeah. I would have liked to have seen a connection back to Gary and Gary, you know, Tucker or Gary or Gary's granddad or how. Yeah, she, because, I would have loved to see any of them like act an actual. The reason why I say Gary is because he had it in his family as well. Right, right. The only two leaders of the Midnight Society that we've known. Right. have been and in their family. family right? So that would yeah. have been a very cool, but they obviously yeah. made a conscious choice not to do that. So, Right. Well, so in the end, I think what we kept saying was we felt it was a missed opportunity. So right. Either way, I think it's worth checking out. If you're a diehard fan of Are You Afraid of the Dark, you definitely should check it out just because you need to know what's going on with the Are You Afraid of the Dark mythology. Uh, but let's wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Let's show. Let's uh, let's talk about our relics. Our oh, ni- yes, our, yes. Our, our, our 90s relics and... Uh, Let's share those. I like how we call them relics, like we found them in the sarcophagus in England. I mean, Egypt. (laughs) Yeah, relics, merch, whatever you want to call it. So what I brought was uh, I'm wearing Mm -hmm. uh, a Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, What's a Nickelodeon hat? But it's the campfire shape. Uh, We're gonna post pictures. As always, uh, you know, we're on Instagram at the Tape Store. Yes, Uh, at the Tape Store. Yeah, so we're on Instagram, so that's where you can check out our '90s merch, our '90s relics. Uh, So I'm wearing my Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, campfire Nickelodeon hat, which uh, was from a Nick box, which is kind of like a, a loot crate. Uh, you can find some of that stuff on eBay and stuff. Uh, really neat stuff. Uh, I also have from Toby's pin bag. We need to have <laughs> um, some segments from our pin bags. Oh, yeah. But, uh, we both collect enamel pins. Yeah, and we put them on our bags, so I carry it around. Uh, so I have my official member of the Midnight Society uh, enamel pin on my messenger bag that I carry everywhere. Uh, so I brought those two things. Uh, Brooke, what do you got? Uh, okay, so I have two things also. Hold on. I have a, uh, okay, I actually thrifted it the other day. It is a folder, like a school folder, of Wishbone, if you remember. If any of you also learned about literature from a beagle, then you will know who I'm talking about. I uh, when a, what's the story, Wishbone? It was a show I secretly watched in 1995. And I proudly watched it it says i work like a dog and he is uh laying on books that oliver twist rip van winkle ivanhoe and uh, it's phenomenal and then i also have a, a genie from like the original aladdin and uh he is resting on a cloud of smoke next to his lamp looking fabulous and yeah, uh found, yeah we yeah, got toby that. found that for me uh, me and yeah me and the little girl me and our me and little kessie went out um Today I went thrifting and picked up a couple things. And so I, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so these are these are my relics. So Got they're, it from the they're always band. thrifted, always. Yeah. Wishbone was funny because I watched it and I had no issue talking about watching Wishbone, but I had a cousin who who watched it too. <laughs> and when we were at school, I'd be like, Hey, so on Wishbone, he'd be like, Shut up, man. <laughs> Do not tell anybody. Hey, so on Wishbone. No one can know that we watch Wishbone, dude. Now and I would start singing it, What's the story? Wishbone's like get away from me, man. <laughs> Anyway, so, well, look, oh, uh, Lord. 
but let's go ahead and uh, wrap this thing up. What do you say? All righty. So um, just make sure to follow us on Instagram, uh, the tape store. Yeah, and um, we are, we're on a lot of platforms now. Oh, the, yeah, that's podcast, true. So I'm not going to list them. Just go to uh, anchor.fm slash the tape store. And we're on all these different platforms. Yeah, if you have Apple, an iPhone, Google. we're there. Yeah, yeah, Spotify, all that. Yeah, so, uh, well, thanks for hanging out at the tape store. Uh, I'm Toby. I'm Brooke. And check out the Are You Afraid of the Dark reboot. And uh, we will see you next week uh, for another episode uh, and another time to hang out and talk 80s and 90s at the tape store. See you guys. Bye. <laughs>